today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie. Now, just over half an hour ago, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and the Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez sent a letter to the President of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, expressing deep concern at the deteriorating situation in Gaza and calling for an urgent review of whether Israel is complying with its human rights obligations. And that follows a warning from a top UN official who has said an Israeli assault on Rafah could lead to a slaughter. In an unusually strongly worded statement, the humanitarian chief Martin Griffith said, Palestinians in Gaza were already suffering an assault that is unparalleled in its intensity, brutality and scope. In a moment I'll speak to Suzanne Lynch, who's associate editor with Politico in Brussels. But first I'm joined on the line by chief international correspondent with the London Independent, Belle True. Belle, thank you for taking our call this morning. I know you've been speaking to people who are in Rafa today. The situation they're facing there is becoming increasingly dire. Absolutely. I've been talking to people in different parts of the city and all of them are essentially sleeping rough. They're in tents, they're displaced from other parts of Gaza. They have nowhere to go. I was talking to one paramedic who was sleeping in a tent and a few days ago when Israel launched an assault on Rafah to extract two hostages, there were very large explosions, airstrikes and gunfire. And this paramedic said all he could do was hide under a blanket because he doesn't have anything else to shield himself with. There are an estimated 1.5 million people in Rafah right now. Most of them are from... uh, large months of them are from the north of Gaza. Their homes have been destroyed. They've got nowhere to go back to and there's no safe ways out of the city. They're sleeping rough in schools, in squares, in hospital courtyards. They have minimal access to food and medical supplies already. And so any large offensive in that area would be devastating. Mm -hmm. And quite apart from all of that, Rafa has huge importance because it's the entry point for aid for the rest of Gaza. Absolutely. So the pretty much only way to get aid into Gaza is through Rafah, which is the border with Egypt. And that has been a lifeline for millions of people in the besieged strip who are suffering from major shortages of food, of medical supplies, of basically everything. If there is a grand offensive on Rafah, the concern is that that aid uh, lifeline will be cut. And now in Khan Yunus, there are concerns about Nasser Hospital and you've been speaking to some medics there. What's going on? So we're still trying to understand exactly what's happening because this has been developing this morning. But what I've been told by medics and what has been said by other international aid organisations like MSF is that there were evacuation orders given to Nasser Hospital to explain Nasser Hospital is pretty much well. the UN has described it as the backbone of the healthcare facilities in the south of Gaza. It's pretty much the only major functioning hospital left in the south of the Strip. And it has been under siege, according to medics that I've been talking to, you've been saying the hostilities have really closed in on the hospital. People have been shot as they tried to leave. They've now been told, apparently, to evacuate. I did ask the Israeli military for comment. Um, they have not got back to me yet on exactly what's happening on the ground, but I've been, I've had voice notes and videos from the area. The WHO has also expressed alarm about this in another hospital just a few days ago. The WHO chief said a WHO mission to the hospital was denied. So there are grave concerns now for the patients, the doctors, and also the displaced civilians who were sheltering there where they're going to go and if they're going to be able to get there safely. Mm -hmm. And all week then, while we've been talking about what might happen in Rafa if there is a ground offensive, we have this other process ongoing around the negotiations 
preparations for a ceasefire. So what is happening on that front? What are your sources telling you? From what I understand is that there were talks, obviously, that took place in Cairo and they have ended without any concrete uh, ceasefire deal being released. We had a counteroffer put forward by Hamas um, uh, about a week ago that um, Israel said was delusional. Um, Netanyahu said publicly that talks with Hamas were going nowhere. I've been speaking to negotiators uh, from the region who are involved in the talks. They've told me the talks, they're still hopeful. They're particularly hopeful this will happen before a massive assault on Rafa. But the issue is there is nothing concrete right now. And so for the families who are in these areas, who are terrified for their lives, you know, all they can do is, they say to me um, every day, all they can do is pray. And are those talks, if that massive assault happens, what happens to the talks in that instance? Are they are they finished? Are they done at that point? Well, this is the major concern for the negotiators from places like Qatar, because in the past, the, they've said to me, what's happened on the ground has directly impacted what's happening in on the negotiating table. The concern is that any offer of a ceasefire with exchange of hostages and possibly the exchanges of Palestinian prisoners will just be taken off the table if there is a massive ground assault. Mm-hmm. There's also um, a concern, of course, that the, you know, the hostages will also be killed in the ground assault. This is something that the families of the hostages who I talk to very frequently are very, very worried about. They're very scared for their loved ones. We have some reports that maybe as many as 50 people from the 136 that are left in Gaza may have may already be dead. There is growing alarm amongst the families that the, the, the mission of the Israeli army is a military one not to rescue the hostages. So I think you know, there's a lot of pressure mounting at the moment. And yet they will have taken hope from the release of two hostages in Rafa uh, towards the end of the weekend. Are those families who you speak to, are they getting any information on the status of their loved ones? <laughs> This is one of the points of contention and there's been a lot of protests against Netanyahu and his war cabinet that they haven't been having enough communication from the officials about what's going on. They do have um, liaison officers within the military who tell them, you know, any points of information, but they feel that they're not being included in the conversation enough and not being listened to. And although there was some hope because two hostages were released on that assault on Rafa, the airstrikes and the sort of battle that took place to get them out, according to Palestinian medics, killed at least 67 people. So you can see the the ratio is is very, very high on the Palestinian side. The the concern is if the hostages are removed through physical force um, rather than negotiating table, that we'll see even more bloodshed. Bell, thank you very much for joining us on that this morning. And I want to move to Suzanne Lynch now, Associate Editor with Politico in Brussels. Suzanne, thank you for being with us this morning. I mentioned at the beginning this letter sent by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar along with the Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez. They're asking Ursula von der Leyen, the President of the European Commission, um, they're, they're advising her of their deep concern at the deteriorating situation in Gaza. Tell us the significance of that letter. Yeah, I think it is very significant. Um, the Taoiseach uh, mentioned that he was raising this issue when he was here at the EU so much earlier this month. Um, since then, it's obvious that discussions have been underway with some countries, like-minded countries on this issue. So uh, Spain, now the Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez and uh, Leo Varadkar together uh, have, have penned this letter to Ursula von der Leyen. Now, what they're calling for is that the uh, association agreement between the EU and Israel should be reviewed. And they cite, uh, there's an article in that agreement that talks about human rights and respect for democratic principles. So they're asking for the European Commission to review that. 
um, with the uh, idea then that this could be looked at if they were found, if Israel was found to be in breach of this. Uh, so a significant, you know, intervention, the fact that this letter has been sent to the European Commission President shows that they're bringing their concerns to the highest level. And have you had any indication of a reaction yet from the Commission to the letter? Yeah, the Commission has said that it has received, confirmed in the last few minutes that it has received the letter. It says it's looking into it. It's not ready to give a response yet, but it did confirm it received that letter uh, this morning. Um, I mean, the big question will be, will it get much traction from other member states? Because the reality is the EU is still struggling to uh, forge a common response uh, to the Israel-Gaza war. And um, we saw that at the summit earlier this month. But also, for example, um, the US and the UK, they agreed to sanction Israeli settlers in the West Bank. Um, And yet the EU has still not agreed to do that. It's been held up by a couple of countries, Hungary and the Czech Republic. Uh, So that's a kind of an indication of the fact that the EU is still struggling uh, to progress policy uh, in this area, uh, despite uh, the fact uh, that we're now in the situation where this assault on Rafa seems to be beginning. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you can tell us about the process leading up to this joint letter being sent and whether other members of the European Union would have been canvassed for support before the letter goes out or is that is that something that happens in the aftermath of that letter being delivered to the Commission? Um, I think they would have been canvassed. I think the fact that it's coming from Prime... What ha- happens a lot in Brussels is that you can see countries teaming up on a letter but it would usually be at a kind of a lower political level, um, you know, ministerial level or something. It's quite unusual that prime ministers would get together and sign a letter like this. So I think that gives it added gravitas. So a lot of the negotiations most likely would have been done at the level of the national capitals in Dublin and Madrid. I think one, I don't want to speak for them, but one notable omission here would be Belgium. Alexander de Croo, who's the Belgian prime minister, has been very strong on this issue taking a more pro-Palestinian perspective, I think it's fair to say. And, for example, I know at Davos, at the World Economic Forum, um, the Taoiseach met with the crew, for example. I suspect, and, and I understand to be correct on this, one of the reasons maybe that Belgium has not signed this letter is that Belgium is currently chairing the Council of the EU. It's, it, it's in the chair for these six months. So it needs to be seen as an honest broker and not taking sides on any issues. So that may be a reason uh, that Belgium is not a signatory uh, to this letter. Mm. Uh, we, we'll, we'll wait and see if, if other countries do sign up. So then what happens next? So the, the Commission say that we will pass this message on to Israel, Israeli authorities as part of our ongoing bilateral uh, conversations. Is there any other outcome as a result of this letter being sent? Well, I think in the first instance, it falls to the European Commission to do a review. And then, um, based on a review, which could take a while, then it would go to the member states, the EU Council, to decide. So somebody like Joseph Borrell here, who's the head of the European External Action Service, who's the EU's top foreign policy figure, um, you know, he would come into play then. But the way it works structurally is that the Commission needs to look at it first, and then it would go to probably foreign ministers level or, you know, member state level through the EAS and through the Council, a part of the EU system. Um, So the very fact they're kind of, um, you know, triggering the first step in this process is significant. We'll have to see what the Commission says, whether it will, you know, it feels obliged now to do this review of this. I mean, these kind of agreements between the EU and other countries are pretty standard. Um, You know, the EU has association agreements with lots of so-called third countries, countries that are, you know, close 
trading partners with the EU may be, in some cases, on a path to joining the EU at some point. And these association agreements are, are pretty standard and they usually encompass trade, uh, a trade pact. So um, in that sense, you know, a lot of these agreements, you know, it, it, they would have a, a system around this. Um, of course, it's going to be very politically nuanced now to see if these these actions by Israel are in breach of this. My instinct is that it's not going to get that much support from other countries after the review, um, you know, given what we've seen so far uh, among the EU27, that you've got so much uh, division over this and you've got countries who basically say that they don't want to equate Israel's actions uh, or link it to the Hamas attack. That's, that's their argument. And I, I can imagine this will come back again All right. in the context of this letter. Well, let's see what the reaction is as we go through the day. That letter and that news just emerging, uh, the letter sent by Leo Varadkar and the Spanish Prime Minister to Ursula von der Leyen on Israel's actions in Gaza. We'll take a break. Text 51551 today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.